Hey everybody, welcome to another great episode of A Gentleman's Guide to Rom-Coms. You're here with me, Kelly McCrillis, and as always is my co-host. Hi. <laughs> oh wait, do you want my name? Yeah. Oh, my name no, is... No, your new name is Hi. <laughs> no, my uncle Hi. That's from Friends. Ross, Ben just said hi. What? what? Ben just said hi. What the word, hi? Yeah, no, my uncle Hi. <laughs> I'm Ryan Graves, and it's a special episode. We've got two firsts. We've got two guests today. Why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, two guests? Uh, separate or together? Uh, oh, in unison. It, okay. Oh, in unison. One, two, <laughs> three. Okay. <laughs> Maybe uh, my name us. is Eugene Bellinger. This is my lovely wife, Lauren Bellinger. And they're coming to us here today because they just had their one year anniversary. Woo! Woo! Love. Yay. <laughs> also, uh, I'm Ryan's sister-in-law. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah. And y- Eugene and I... We play Dungeons and Dragons. We play Dungeons and Dragons. Are also friends. Uh, we Lauren, also love each other. Lauren, we watched About Time. Why did we watch About Time? Why is that the movie we watched? Because it is Eugene and my favorite rom-com. It wasn't the first rom-com we watched together i don't think i think it was but it was i think the first was my big fat greek wedding oh yep that's right but this might have been the second this was definitely the second Mm -hmm. Uh, and And this one you like better oh yeah oh yeah Uh, (laughs) yeah because my situation was i never watched rom-coms because i never had a a rom to watch the com with so oh yeah 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 yeah. and wow that's a good motto yeah uh, <laughs> you so, need a rom. Yeah, gotta have a rom to watch rom coms, you know. Um, but yeah, so I, in high school, I had a girl from my freshman year, but it wasn't cool yet to do activities together like that. No, you uh, just <laughs> pretended to date, like yeah. all of us at that age. And uh, my other relationship was like two months, and we watched one rom com together. But other than that, yeah, I, I'd I'd held off on watching rom coms just because I I wanted to watch it with somebody. And then once I started dating Lauren, I had a, I didn't realize how vast the library was. We got <laughs> education. I do love this philosophy though, where rom coms are off limits if there's no actual romance going on. Do you in other genres of your guys's life? Do you follow this credo? Like, definitely no historical war dramas unless there is a war on. I mean, in America, it's not hard to watch a war movie during a war. That's uh, true. <laughs> uh, so how many times have you guys seen this now? This is um, three for me. But yeah. it's probably going to be a, at least a yearly occasion. Oh, probably. probably. Yeah. I've watched it more because I I first saw it at like a dorm room movie party. This is a deep movie for a dorm room party. Um, it was my RA arranged it because a different RA had introduced her to it and told her that it changed his life. So then she had to tell us that it changed his life. And so we had very high expectations going in. Mm. For me, that was Hot Rod. <laughs> uh, Pretty equivalent. Yeah. Yeah. So, Lauren, what? there's another special connection to this movie because of your wedding, right? Yes. What is that? Um, I walked down the aisle to the theme music and our recessional was another song from the movie. And I think probably 50% of our wedding playlist was music from this movie. Yeah. Who wrote the music for this movie? Some guy. I don't know the composer because it's also like a lot of. Yeah, there's a lot of like not not pop, but yeah. I think it's just probably on her phone as like your standard folksy <laughs> credits music. Did you did you guys use the that like um, 
what's the guy in Gomer Girls? The um, the the Jubilee guy. The oh. what's his name? The town. The town troubadour. The town troubadour. Is it the troubadour song yes. that was in the subway the, the station? Subway, oh, the subway song nice. was the our, our, our recessional. As long as stars are above you. Okay, because I was like, I know this song. Like when it came on the movies, like this song is so familiar to me. Why is it so familiar? And that's why. Ah, oh, that's such a bummer. I would have loved being there. <laughs> I, I'm like the only one that didn't get to experience your guys' wonderful wedding because I was on the It's okay, I didn't. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't go to yours because we had ours. So. Yeah, you have a good excuse, Kelly, because you were on a honeymoon. So like that was the only like acceptable excuse. I mean, um, Lauren was in the Arctic, so that's a pretty good yeah. excuse. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's why I wasn't at your wedding. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Just you were on a, another hemisphere. <laughs> we, we have... Um, the the composer for this movie is Nick Laird Cow or Close, and um, he has also done such titles as Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, sure. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Oh sure, <laughs> uh, Glow. Like he's um, he's a pretty diverse kind of dude. He's all over the place. Okay, <laughs> I mean, uh, hey, if they're paying. So this is uh, Richard Curtis's sort of film. Um, <laughs> <laughs> It's, I'm pretty sure that's right. I think it's his third film he did that he directed. He directed Love Actually. I'm pretty sure he directed Pirate Radio, and then he did this film. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Kelly, I want you to give me... This is your first time watching it. Yeah, so I think I was the only one. This is your first, first time. Yeah. I would like your reaction to the film, just to get us into how we feel about it. If you two ever hear us pause at all, it's just because a big truck is going by. <clears throat> I loved it. Yay. Yay. Everyone in this room loves this movie. I oh, good. I definitely, not only might this be one of my favorite rom-coms of all time, that's a, that's kind of an of course at this point in time. I'm so glad that you guys introduced this to me, but it might be one of my favorite movies. It's hard to say because it's just my first time in and I want to go back and rewatch it, but I was expecting to be delighted. I was not expecting to f- feel a reinforcement of all those good, wonderful romantic values that I try to follow in my own life. And it's it's just one of those movies that makes me want to live a better life. And it's not often that you run across one of those that isn't saccharine. And so I was just I was blown away. So uh, I think uh, we should catch the viewers up on what this movie is actually about. Right? Yeah. What's the story? It's about time. Well, <laughs> tell me a story, Turk. Let me tell you a story about love, D'Artagnan. I ask you about love. Quote me a sonnet. I'm not much more than an interpreter and not very good at telling stories. That's the end. What do you mean that's the end? That's not. It's the beginning of something interesting. Listen, that's the end of that saga. The end. Here's the story. It's about time. But if you want a more thorough description of the film, it's about someone traveling in time. Yeah, I, I think our resident expert, Lauren, could you start us off with what this movie is about and who our characters are? So the logline that Eugene and I came up with for this movie is it's about how you spend your time. So that's the meta what this movie mm-hmm. is about. But plot wise, it is about Tim, who is a young man who discovers on his 21st birthday 
that the men in his family have the ability to travel back within their own lifetime. Why do why do Americans only get to drink on their 21st birthday, but <laughs> British guys get to t- time travel? Is that it's so unfair? Yeah. So, so what are the rules? I think that's an mm-hmm. important plot element is mm-hmm. the rules. He can only go back in his own lifetime mm. to places he's been before. It's not really clear whether he can go back to a place that he's been before but not necessarily at that time. No, it it, it, it had to be it had to be time yeah. and place that yeah. he was before. It's like go, yeah. going back to moments wait, that wait, he's wait, lived wait. before. Oh, right. So if he goes into a closet in some place, he has to imagine himself being where he place. was at a certain point of time <laughs> near that, and that will near the, transport him physically. Oh, yeah. I suppose this is a good time to mention that one of the things is uh, in order to travel back in time, he must find a nice dark closet or cabinet or yeah. water closet mm-hmm. and clench his fists and focus. And then he goes back to that time. Yeah. But the other important rule is he can't go back past the birth of a child, of his own child. Well, he can, but there's consequences. Gosh, spoilers yes. alert. He will <laughs> get a different baby when he goes back. Because the time adjustment will mean a different sperm will have been used because there's just a slight alteration in his uh, timing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I love that about this film is it took kind of this sci-fi logic seriously, even though it's fantasy. Because I was just watching a Star Trek episode where a character goes forward in time in their own timeline. And he's like, like he could guess what some where somebody would have thrown a dart a couple hours ago. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense because you've talked to him about this and you're having a conversation about where he's going to throw the dart. And so he's going to move his arm just in a slightly different way. And that's going to change the trajectory of where he's throwing this dart now. And this movie is like, no, no, no. Every little moment counts. Well, that's the other it thing. It doesn't, it doesn't though. Ooh. The, the thing is the, the, during the revelation scene at the v- very beginning of this movie, where his father is explaining to him that the men in the family have the ability to, he, he's very clear. He's like, they go through all of the tropes and almost an unspoken conversation that only a father and son could have. Like, and the butterfly effect doesn't really seem to affect us. Yeah, so it does follow like very specific rules, but there's also like we're not going to get into the butterfly effect until later on. And then you'll realize there's one thing where it really does matter. Um, It's kind of like how someone was like, man, Avengers Endgame is like the best time travel movie. I'm like, no, it's not. It just did back to the future, but like kind of (laughs) different. And that's what about time is like. We made some rules. Don't worry too hard about it. Yeah. It's pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. And that's what my my mom is I, I have this as well, but she's very much like picking apart all of the details and making sure that all of the logic makes sense. And your sister, my wife has it. Yep. Awesome. <laughs> it's like it's like the women in the family are similar. Um, she was bringing up some logical problems in the movie that I, I was thinking, yeah, they they screwed this up. This doesn't make sense. But my sort of thesis for the time travel in this movie is that in other time travel films like when when we eventually get to see tenant i will expect it to have 
all of its time travel perfectly worked out because it's about the mechanics of time travel. And I actually think The Time Traveler's Wife, which is another Rachel McAdams dating a time traveler movie, that one is more about... <laughs> this is a, a subgenre. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that movie is more about the mechanics of time travel and how it affects their relationship. But I think in this movie, the time travel is more of a philosophical device mm. than a science sci-fi Device. Right, it's more fantastic, and it, it it's talking more about the philosophy. Yeah, it's yeah. more fantasy movie than sci-fi movie. But mm-hmm. but like good fantasy, the magic has rules, and mm-hmm. right. for the most part, you can't break the rules. You can bend the rules, but mm-hmm. you can't break the rules. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like Harry Potter magic, where there's not a lot of hard and fast rules until like later on in the fifth book. They're like, oh yeah, Copalot's third law. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah, and and there's times <laughs> in this movie where he does stuff, and they haven't explained exactly how it works logistically but you're just kind of like okay i'll follow you (laughs) because how it affects the relationships is interesting yeah Mm -hmm. so the plot of this movie is really just about the device of being able to travel in time and that's really it it's just this guy lives his life and he has this ability and that's pretty much what it follows and i feel like there's probably like three main arcs which is the love of his life his sister and his father. I feel like mm-hmm. those are the big plot points, right? right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I like how in the beginning he through because he's doing a narration um, like as as a device, and it's almost lost in this movie. Like I completely forget that he's narrating most of the time. But he talks about how like after he talks to his dad, like you were saying, Eugene, about like all the rules and what other members of his family has done. He's like, for me, it was always going to be about love. Wow massive which definitely like sends us off on like our first quest for love it's a very good thesis statement of Mm -hmm. like this first act will be about (sighs) love (laughs) (laughs) uh so kelly can you set up the first act then of tell us about margot robbie Mm -hmm. and then tell us about rachel mcadams well okay so margot robbie is this actor and she plays a dc character (laughs) named no um margot robbie is um kind of that young crush that he has where she's this super vivacious, I guess is a good word to say, um, character that comes and stays out at Domino Gleason and Tom's house. Tom? Tom? Tim. Tim. There are some who call me Tim. And he, she comes and stays and he kind of has a 21-year-old's crush on her, but he thinks she's the love of his life. Because he's 21. As, as he's the 21. woman in the room, I think it's okay to say she's hot. <laughs> and she is dressed to be hot and she is made up to be hot and it's meant to be. He sees her for her looks. He doesn't really know her that well. And that's why he thinks she's the love of his life. Yes, yes Kelly. Kelly. Would you say she's a hottie with a body? Probably wouldn't use those words, but you would. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, and anyway, she ends up not being into him and he learns his first lesson at the end of this summer. And it's kind of beautiful because we see him get to throughout like this, like attempted romantic interlude. He, he learns how to use his fantasy powers where it's like, well, no, not like that. His, his fantastical powers. Is that better? Is that better? (laughs) Um, where like the, I think the first instance we see him actually use, use it 
is, well, I guess he goes back in time, but the first instance, uh, or he goes back in time at the party just mm-hmm. to test um, it, to test it. But yeah. when he's actually with Margot Robbie, he tries to use it to like correct the mistake of the, um, applying sunscreen, applying sunscreen yeah. which <laughs> that was his, when he, the first time and he runs away is such a good comical, like run away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I, I'm just gonna bring this up. We don't have to linger on it, but it is kind of a sexual innuendo. It's a it's a well it's a well uh, done body joke. Yeah, B A W D Y. And it's body. not done in that silly way where it's like a popping sh- like champagne cork. Yeah, it's and he runs away and he corrects it and he's much smoother the second time. Yeah, but no matter what he does over the course of the summer, he just can't seem to like fall get her to fall in love yeah, with him. The chemistry's not quite there. Yeah. So that brings me to a question. Because I feel like there's a lot of rules that are implicit, but not explained. And this is the first one I encountered is that when he goes back, he can either go back and stay there and be in a new time thread or he can go back, correct an action and return to the other timeline. Yes, correct. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we agreed that there's yeah. the two yeah. situations. One yeah. is and far it, more dangerous, but less time consuming. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. it, and it's clever how they do that. Like they like those two instances are uh, excellent. Like he goes back to the New Year's party to correct his mistake of not kissing the girl he was with mm-hmm. uh, at midnight, uh, not hitting the table, not knocking over a table of drinks. And then after the party, he teleports back to the conversation with his dad. Very, very on screen distinctly. But with yeah. the with the sunscreen incident, as we'll call it. Uh, he definitely <laughs> gets out of there, never returns. Just, I'm just going to go in the, the best timeline now. So he stays in the corrected sunscreen incident and that's mm-hmm. the new timeline. Right. And I kind of want, I hope a movie nerd has done this where they've like drawn out all the timelines that have happened and like show where he abandoned one timeline and went to a new one. Mm-hmm. And like, that's the new Canon time. See like how many timelines there are Mario total. life counter. Like how many? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing, this will come up later in the movie, but his dad also has the power because it's just the boys in the family that can do this. So right. it's so- just him and his dad. So when his dad goes back in time, what is the objective timeline right because <laughs> they and they get into this where the dad has done an event several times and tried it several different times until he settled on the one that sticks but what would happen if they both went into the closet right and or how does there there is a moment when they both yeah. go they both they well, both no, go but because different they, closets trying to correct two different things no. So it doesn't really get into it. And this is why time travel is more of a good fantasy subject than sci-fi subject, because I can't answer the question, right? Because they both have, it's a subjective thing, like Mm -hmm. their experience of life. But if they're experiencing different moments, what's the real moment? What's really real? I feel like when you get that, that's a question that's more, uh, left for other time travel movies this one's this one is the movie of i have control z at any time yeah Yeah. and Mm -hmm. i'm gonna use it and and they use that device to go 
and not to leave out Mac users, but Command Z as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, well, I did that on purpose. <laughs> Thank you, so. Kelly. You're welcome. I feel like this is a common enough phrase that it's almost a cliche. You know, I wish I had a rewind button on life. What if I had a rewind button and I could just undo my mistakes? And this movie says, well, what if you could? Mm-hmm. Let's find out. And it's so fun. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I like I, I felt really good, at, like I said, at the end of this movie and you know, I had my idealism reinforced, um, I guess, but I also had so much fun, even amidst like the darker, harder moments in this film. Yeah, because this is kind of Doctor Who plotting yeah. at, mm-hmm. at hand. And it should be said that Richard Curtis wrote a Doctor Who episode. Which one? I don't know. <laughs> but he did. Hold on. I want to look I it up. I saw it really on the cool. IMDb gotcha. trivia. Because we all have s- seen this one. I know that. Um, Richard. One episode. That episode is Vincent and the Doctor. <gasps> oh, that makes so much of sense. Course. It is the All greatest the tears. episode. All right. I will have our resident Doctor Who expert, Lauren. Because, wait, have you made Eugene watch all of Doctor Who? No. No. She, she fell out of that phase right before she just started dating me, apparently. Yeah. That's okay, because you stopped watching just when it got boring. But wait, wait. I don't want to have a Doctor Who argument on here, but I will. Um, <laughs> Peter Capaldi era... Is not a bad era. He's a good doctor, but Clara is a bad companion. She's a good companion for him. I'll arg- I'll go to bat for Clara with Capaldi any day. <sighs> All right, I I'm just gonna take. Clara I'm just gonna take. I'm just gonna. Clara is not a good companion. What the doctor needs is a human being, and Clara acts as if she was the doctor, making the doctor as if he was the human. That is not right. That is not Doctor Who. That is not my. Doctor Who. And then you get to Jodie Whittaker and all three companions are perfect and have no flaws. Okay. This is a conversation for another day because (laughs) I I agree with Lauren and I disagree with Ryan, but I don't want to get into this. You Um, will. We'll Eugene. We'll catch you up. We we should watch it. But Lauren, the the episode at hand that we're talking about that Mm -hmm. Richard Curtis wrote. Tell Mm -hmm. us about it. Oh, Oh, this is where we start. It's been a while. It's been a while. But it's your it's your doctor is Matt Smith's your doctor. That's true. Um. The doctor goes back to Vincent van Gogh's era and it's it's a quiet episode and it's a, a much more character driven episode where we get to know Vincent van Gogh and they uh, also we fight bond an with invisible him. alien, right? Yes, there's a, there's an invisible alien running around cuz it's Doctor Who. Right. <laughs> but it's more about seeing van Gogh in this little section of his life and if I'm remembering correctly, the doctor and his companion Amy Pond. Try, yes, Amy Pond. And Rory. Was Rory there? I don't know if he was there. I don't remember. Um, they sort of Poor try Rory. to give Van Gogh <laughs> hope. And they, I think Amy really is hoping that she will change his life enough in the small amount of time that she's with him that he might not kill himself later on in life. He, he does... He does still kill himself, yes. Spoiler right. alert. I was trying, I was trying to remember dead. if that was in fact what happened with Van Gogh. Um, yeah, and she fails to change his life in that way, and he does still kill himself. But the end of the episode, um, she goes to an art museum, and I can't. I think there are new paintings. Well, there's. Um, I think that there's paintings with uh, the TARDIS and them in it right. as yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you do see that, like, they influenced his life, even if they didn't necessarily change the ending of it. Yeah, but the Doctor takes. Van Gogh to the future and right. yeah, and they show him that he does have a legacy, mm-hmm. that he is appreciated at some time, and it's it shows him like 
do not worry. You will be valued. Maybe not in your lifetime, but you will be valued. And mm-hmm. this is this is kind of akin to I, I don't want to jump too far ahead in our, our episode that we're recapping. But the the second instance where he's dealing where Tim deals with his sister, he tries to fix her life in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he wants to change the outcome. And he does, but he does it like in kind of a different way. So it seems like Richard Curtis is really interested in like affecting somebody's future or he's interested in characters who are empathetically trying to make other characters lives less miserable so this movie now going back to the tagline that lauren and i came up with apparently in a vacuum uh (laughs) which was uh the um it's about the time you have. Is that what I said? It's about how you spend the time. It's you about have. how you spend the time you have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about going back in time and fixing all your mistakes. Cause uh, early on when Tim's trying to woo over Margaret Robbie, it's failing and failing. And at the end of it, uh, there's a bit of a narration where it sounds like uh, some things don't change. Basically mm. uh, you can't make every people fall in love with you. And then, yeah. um, uh, Instead of a fixed point in time, it's a fixed point in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, time travel can't fix everything. It can't fix everything. Like that is one of the first lessons he learns is that it that can't fix anything. And then the very next chapter <laughs> is uh, him trying to win over the love of his life. Who he, um, he meets in a... Um, they go, it's, a, it's the weirdest introduction I've seen in the few rom-coms I've seen. But they of the ones I've seen, I've seen much more and I will concur. It's It's a blind date, to put it simply. Mm -hmm. It is a blind date. Uh, Oh, I just got that. (laughs) (laughs) So they go to this restaurant and they bump into these girls in a restaurant where the lights are off because the waiters are blind. Robin's been to one of these, actually. Dark. Yes. You can't see you can't anything. See you have to wonderful eat a meal in total <laughs> <darkness>. <laughs> so, But I mean, that's what's kind of wonderful about that scene. Oh, yeah. The screen is literally dark except for a couple of like cell phone little lights, or lights that you still can't see a thing. And it's for probably two minutes that nothing's on screen, which if I was like working for a movie theater or working for um, the studio that's like doing it, there would be just so many times when they're like quality checking it it's like i can't see anything it's like no no that's part it's, it's of the supposed movie. to be it's happening like, right now are you sure i can't see a thing mm-hmm. <laughs> it's um, like that one game of thrones episode <laughs> yeah that but, was awful yeah. <laughs> uh, but but we basically get to listen to this couple fall in love which mm-hmm. makes it even or at least fall in like with each other yeah. um and that kind of makes it even more special because we know that they're is no physical attraction, but there is mm-hmm. an emotional connection. Which is very much the opposite of his not relationship with Margaret Robbie. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and that and that's a thing that uh really defines the relationship between Tim and Mary, as we find out in their pitch dark yeah. uh, conversation. Mm-hmm. And the conversation, like that it, it shows like the little title cards like 713 and then it goes all the way to like 1045. So these guys have talked for three hours in a completely dark room. It's going well. It's going well. But one of the highlights of their relationship as it goes is that they converse. They talk. Their first uh, interaction is just them talking, not even looking at each other. Yeah. And then, of course, they step out of the restaurant and they, they look at each other all doughy-eyed and exchange and phone numbers on Motorola people. flip phones. Yeah. It's like, oh, no, oh, thank God. We're both <laughs> so beautiful. So <laughs> um, okay, Donald Gleason is not 
Hollywood hot the way Rachel McAdams kind of is, in my opinion. Yeah. I, what was the word they used? To, he described himself at the beginning and the narration. Orange. Yeah. Yes. Too <laughs> orange. <laughs> like I, I do think that he's attractive, but he's not Ryan Gosling. Okay. Well, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a binary. Hugh Grant or Domino Gleason. For you personally, Me? personal preference. Answer carefully. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kind of have to go with Domino Gleason because he reminds me more of Eugene. Yeah, because I was gonna say, <laughs> watching this movie, Domino Gleason on screen, I was like, he's a lot like Eugene. He's a lot like Kelly. Mm-hmm. He's not a lot like me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means because he is the romantic lead in this movie. So I guess that's good for you two guys. And you yeah. just relate to the father a lot more, I guess. I'll be Bill Nehe. Wow. I think that this movie, though, might have some of the best acting overall that we've seen in the podcast. Yeah. Like, um, and this is very consistent for Richard Curtis movies. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. Where the even the ulterior characters that are just like on the side, I'm like, oh, you're a real character. You're a real character. And Domhnall Gleeson, every single time I've seen him, he's been a different character and he's always impressed me. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, he hits it off with this gal. Goes back home and then realizes his flatmate, the guy he's been staying with, has had the worst possible thing happen to him. He's a playwright who's lead actor. Forgot all his lines. Forgot all at, the, the, at the climax play. of the play. Yeah. yeah. So, Ruins the play. So he decides that he's going to use his time powers to help out his buddy, who's... A bit of an abusive guy, anyway. Yeah, but that's just how shows how good of a guy Tim yeah. is. Yeah, Tim he, is he really saves nice the cat in that moment. It's like he could be selfish, but he literally does the well, kind of idiotic thing because he doesn't realize that this will change the past mm-hmm. as much as it mm-hmm. does, right? Yeah. With, so here's the one issue I have with the film is that I I think it was being very agnostic about the timetables that Tim was dealing with. Do you think that was intentional? Where like, okay, the play starts here. But he goes to dinner at this time. And why is he going to dinner if his flatmate's play is premiering? Because his flatmate's mean and abusive. <laughs> yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't think they have much of a friendship at this point. Yeah. I but think. then why does he care about saving the play if he didn't want to go? I mean, there's a difference between... I mean, fear of homicide from your apartment owner. <laughs> he is a crazy playwright. I, um, I think there's a difference between I'm going to go to your play and my presence there will do nothing versus I'm going Save to rescue your, your career. Yeah. He right. literally, he, he tries. I, I feel like he, his plan was he was going to just show up, remind the lead to review his lines. And then he was going to uh, see if it worked and then probably go back and go to that dinner. If when he eventually realized that, Oh, I would never meet her. Yeah. Right. But unfortunately he has to stay for the whole thing in order to make it work. in order to make it work. So that means in the timeline is that this new timeline that he started, he's crossed over into the time where he meets Mary. Right. It's like, that's what's going on is that yeah. he's, yeah. he's overriding. It happened that. on the same night. Yeah. So he he's overriding. Correct. So he was thinking he could either repeat, what he just did with Mary or just he go. He can still go back to that and go meet her. But okay. he can't but then have he'd both. Be a race, yeah. yeah. And I want to say, I'm kind of glad he didn't because there's something at one point in time, he, he redoes a, a moment with Mary when uh, spoiler alert, they first have sex where he's like trying to get it like just right. But I think if he would have done that with their conversation, 
to like go back and try to recapture that. It would have been so hard. It would have been I, so. Yeah. It's, no way. It's like uh, like you guys. We're, we're all writers or story makers in a way. And if you've ever lost something, like whether it's a notebook or something that you've written on the computer, when you go back and rewrite, it's when you, not the same. When you get into it, if you're trying to write the same words and come to the same outcome, you you almost just can't. You have to capture a new kind of magic. It's like you have yeah. to try a completely different scene because it's like there's no way I can remember it verbatim. So. Yeah, which is why he remembers parts from their conversation and tries to use that to find her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is where I think the movie's best like um, pinch is, is that he's like, crap, I have to start over with this girl and I gotta have her. Mm. And I know we are do well together. Yeah. We talked for four he's hours. Got, and it off. He's got, that's the great thing. And it's she like, doesn't know it. <laughs> he's got the assurance and the confidence. Like, okay, if I can just get in a, it, it's like this with writers, it's like I can do a different scene where they can have the same kind of spirit, but it'll just be a different context. And that's what happens with a lot of rewrites. Um, cause Kelly and I have rewritten our scripts to death, uh. <laughs> but Lauren, are you much of a rewriter? Cause you're definitely not a planner. You're a, um, she's a rewriter. I'll just say, well, right no, now. no, no, no. <laughs> but there's two kinds of writers. There's the planner and the, what's the other one? Uh, sometimes it's called the pantser. Cause you're writing by the seat of your pants. You're a pantser. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Sounds like you're pulling down. <laughs> right. <pants. laughs> but you do not plan. You just sit down and you write the story and you just see where the road goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you rewrite, how like structurally are you changing things around? Um, I think for me, the rewrite is when you introduce the structure. That's when you bring, that's when you figure out, oh, this so it's is more like I'm molding doing. then at that point in time. Yeah. Okay. And so sometimes you have to delete a scene because your characters have to be somewhere else, but then you're like, crap, I've lost this part where they talk about this. So they, I have to bring this in somewhere else. Well, and that's why the second time around you plan it. Yeah. I think that's why the second time around Tim very clearly name drops things like, Oh, this worked in the first conversation. Let's. And so it's like the, from the rewriting point of view, it's like you nailed it the first time, then you lost everything. And then you're trying to rewrite it. And it's that like, throwing your head against the keyboard like it's, i got it the first well, time it's, it's literally just remembering like that one line that really tied the whole scene together and be like oh oh that was the magic that'll at least let me a, a way into that scene again yeah yeah i think we've all written those scenes where it's like ah that's a perfect sentence if i just have that sentence in there we're good but this movie does a good job at not making tom perfect tim on- tim sorry <laughs> tim he because when he he first meets her again it's at this uh kate moss art show where it's just a bunch of like photos of kate moss and there's your r rating is the nude photo of kate moss in the background that's yep. why this movie's rated r that and no, that and colorful language on no, the behalf yeah there's of a couple people. we don't see anyone else naked naked oh no no but like in i guess there's some f words yeah that's what's it's doing it several mm-hmm. you can have boobs in a movie and not have a br I don't especially remember. Not nowadays. Es- especially if it's art. <laughs> no, no. Like I just, I meant in the, it says for rating reasons, it's rated R for language and sexual content. Kate Moss is your sexual content. I don't think so. I think so. No, that's just <laughs> a photo. That's not even sexual. All the other sex is implied. Mm. Anyway, she, he meets her there after he waits for her again and again and again. And uh, he, he does this thing where he brings up Kate, like something she said about Kate Moss before. 
Oh, wait, no, he doesn't do that until the party later because he uses this twice. Yeah. Yeah, they, he keeps screwing uh, up. Third time is the charm. Yeah, yeah, he finds out that because he missed the dinner date that she found somebody else at a party that her flatmate was having. So he's like, crap, uh, I guess I'll intercept her before that. Right. right. But after the play... So where exactly did you meet this man? Right, I love, that was a great scene. So this is what I love. This is probably my favorite element of the movie because a lot of rom-coms will have the meet cute where it goes really well and it's just like, great, well, I here's my number and I guess we'll start dating now. And like the next 30 minutes of the movie is them just kind of having this nice relationship until some random reason comes about why they can't be together. Like Alec Baldwin shows up or something like that. Uh, but this is like. I hate when that happens in all of our movies. <laughs> but this movie really yanks the rug out. It's like, well, they could have had a meet cute, but I'm not going to grant them that. I'm going to give them the chemistry, but I'm going to make Tim really work for it, which just makes you as the viewer really invested in it. You and it, really care about Tim's success. And it allows you to like watch a lot of different movies, kind of, because mm. you're, you're seeing. It's almost a heist movie at that point in time where Tim's Tim's given an obstacle. And instead of being like, I have to overcome this, he's like, no, no, no. I have to circumvent this by going back and intervening in it. And it's just like such a weird mishmash of genres in the midst of this rom-com. Yeah. And mm -hmm. it kind of exemplifies like screenwriting formula of like the save the cat books and all the other books are saying you have to throw at least three big obstacles at your main character for them to accomplish the big goal. And it always feels arbitrary. It's like, can't I just let them do stuff? And it's like, no, it's gotta be three obstacles. But this felt like obstacles that were relevant, like really important. Like I have to see him succeed. I must. And okay. What do you guys think of, Tim, when they finally, like, he finally breaks through, he gets her before the other guy gets her at the party, and he convinces her to go out to eat with him. What do you think about their date? Once again, it's a, it's a, it's a signature of their relationship is that they talk, they converse, they, some of it's nonsense and hilarious. They're, they're actually talking to each other. And then, what? and then there's some physical well, stuff. And then, <laughs> before that, though, I want to, what do you guys think of Tim? Because I found him... On their date, I was like, you're kind of a dorkist right now. Oh, like, he's a total dork, but and, and she I likes that it. about him. Yeah, it was it was one of my favorite things about the movie is that it took the time to be like this perfect character that you've seen grow up with his family on a beach, basically be everything we'd want him to be, except a little less than confident, I guess. And then he is just so much himself, which is kind of a little bit more of a dork than we realized. But it's so... I think like this is this is why this is my favorite rom-com and I think also why it kind of ended up being our marriage movie is that it's so relatable and like I think about <laughs> the first oh, long no. conversation that Eugene and I had together he described all of the alien races in the video game Mass Effect <laughs> in great detail. Welcome just, to the like, Mass Effect podcast. Monologued me, and I I loved it. It was I thought it was really fun, and I think you did ask me about that. <laughs> yes, I did. You asked me. No, it wasn't just apropos of nothing. You 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 flipped the switch, and the floodgates were opened, <laughs> and that is where I confessed my nerddom to you. Yeah, and I think Tim's 
first canon conversation with Mary where he's being a little bit sassy and a little bit forward mm-hmm. and taking a little bit of a risk in the conversation is so relatable because I think for a lot of us, when we think back on our first conversations with the people we end up spending our lives with, they're not necessarily these perfect, beautiful conversations. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh my gosh, can you believe this conversation that we had when we barely knew each other? It was ridiculous. And so I think this movie just is relatable in so many ways while still being hopeful and Mm -hmm. that that's what makes it resonate with people that really makes me think that if you give the wrong person the time travel powers they could become such a megalomaniac because Mm -hmm. tim is such a good person he is Mm -hmm. such a good person and when like you were talking like you said that he was kind of confident and sassy and um like if if he wanted to he could go into every single situation just as loud and as much of like his his most risk taking self as he wanted to, because he could always go back and fix it. But that's just not who Tim is. Right. He cares. And that's why we want him to succeed. Everyone's relationship here had that significant moment of conversation. That is what was endearing. Mm hmm. That's true. For me and Sarah, it was all the conversations in the Whitworth coffee shop, which is how we started liking each other for you guys. Wait, when did you guys have your first conversations? Uh, I mean, we met in that same coffee shop, um, but yeah, our first conversation was in a dorm. But where yeah. was the but the Mass Effect? Oh, that was that was in the lobby of my dorm. I was serving tea to all my dorm mates because i have too much tea and i had to get rid of it so i was just serving tea yeah, to everyone it was on the way to class <laughs> yeah tea tuesdays it was great oh my god hey i had i had too much tea i had sure i, I had like a crate full is it it's not it, that I, sounds about right i had to get rid of it in the most charitable way possible so i made it social and tea then for your bros. one of my friends brought lauren to it and uh and uh you should yeah. Buy him a medal. <laughs> yeah, they uh, were in the wedding party, so. Oh, there you go. Kelly, tell me about the first conversation you had with Robin. Oh, Robin and I were... <laughs> I can't believe we've not talked about this yet on the podcast. Um, Robin and I met uh, to just talk about film stuff because a mutual film friend of ours was like, you two are film people and you have the same kind of thoughts about film. You should and all you guys film, were film, doing film, was film. like, hey... I've got a DVD to borrow. Can I borrow that DVD? Yeah, like you yeah. guys were exchanging DVDs and that was it. No, it was literally like I, I friended her on Facebook because my friend told me to. And then she asked a question about like, what's one of the best opening for a film? And I was like, oh, with Nail and I, obviously. Yeah. And then she was like, I've never seen that. And I was like, oh, I have a DVD if you want to borrow it. And she's like, sure, let's do a movie trade. And we can also like talk because one of our friends told us to talk. And so we met in a tea shop basement, which is closing tomorrow, I think. I know. um, Townsend's. We went and had a date there the Um, other day, though. I think the brand is going to be okay, though. I think they're just showing closing. Brew Doctor for all those people outside of Portland. Um, Yeah, they're just shutting down the the stores. But we ended up having a conversation. And within the first five minutes, we'd finished like six of each other's sentences. It was it was just so weird because like we were, we started talking about adventure zone, which was like this podcast that we really loved and started talking about like writing fantasy. And it just ended up being one of those things that we only had an hour cause we both had meetings afterwards and it got to about an hour and 15 and we were like, shoot, we need to finish this conversation just because we were so, it, it was just, it was all about like conversing. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. 
And I think I saw Kelly that day. And yeah, later he that was day. glowing. And he's just like, I just, I don't know. I had the greatest conversation in my life. I'm I like, met a girl. What happened? <laughs> I and could have danced all he, night. He told me that. And in the back of my head, it's like, all right, he's going to marry her. And then he did. And I went to Sarah's like, Kelly met a girl. Like, this is. Big. You know, I think I heard about this. <laughs> yeah. This is a grapevine. <laughs> but I think that's what a good rom-com is about, is having characters connect through connect like dialogue Mm -hmm. through talking that's connection because i think lauren correctly is not a big fan of notting hill in the sense that their connection is not as close as tim and mary well it yeah it is a different one it's a lot more sexy it's more hollywood yeah yeah whereas i think about time has like this grace to it where it's able to be a little bit smaller and less Hollywood by virtue of its script. Yeah. Cause there's actual meat <laughs> to deal with. Oh man. Like it, it, it reflects real life very well. You, despite it being a fantastical movie, like, which is my thesis about the next two thirds of the movie. Yes. Which we Cause have if not you thought to. that, that <laughs> if you thought them getting together was the end of the movie, boy, were you wrong? I just want to say, I'm going to let you ex- learn. I'm going to let you explain the next two thirds, okay. but this is why I didn't like love the movie the first time around. Cause I thought, sweet, I'm going into a movie that's going to be like Notting Hill, but it's got like a time travel thing, but it'll be your Notting Hill thing where he gets the girl, but then things go wrong. And then, you know, things get jumbled up. But by the end of the movie, he gets the girl and then we go home. But the end of the first act, he gets the girl for good. And then we're off to the races. I'm like, Oh, so we're, we're beginning our movie where the vast, vast, vast majority of rom-coms end their movie. Mm-hmm. So where do we go after this, Lauren? The rest of the movie is the first five or six years of their marriage, probably. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because she's pregnant when they get married. And then the last five minutes of the movie is the next 12 or so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the the kid is the kid that their first child is probably six or seven. Yeah. Yeah. We can't we can't skip the wedding, though. Oh, no. Or or even before the proposal. Like because he meets up with Margot Robbie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's that's essential. Oh no, I'm just I'm just describing mm. like the the length of the movie, the the span of the movie. But yeah, it I will mean, take we you get... six years. <laughs> <laughs> I I need to talk about the the second coming of Margot Robbie's character. Um, all hail, all hail. <laughs> um, sh- so for context, Tim, after meeting Mary's parents, uh, goes has two tickets for a show. Uh, Mary, after goes, stressing... Who's, who's his buddy? Panics. Uh, he takes Rory, Rory. his awkward lawyer <laughs> bud, uh, co-worker. <laughs> He's so funny. He's so great. Um, Mary wants to stay home and sleep all day, which I'm pretty sure she does. Uh, he takes Rory to the theater to see a show. It cuts to the end of the show. He stands up, looks over, putting his coat on, and sees, lo and behold, Margot Robbie. Um, and after a couple of time jumps, uh, trying to have an interaction with her that's not awkward. He just gives up. He just gives up. It's so beautiful. He learns. <laughs> <laughs> well, and like that's kind of the lesson that he learned, but I guess didn't learn with her at the beginning is the less he tries, the better off he is with her. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, because at the beginning, at, like when he has 
like he when he cares less about what he's doing doesn't seem over eager she's more into him but as soon as he is like you know i i'm coming over here to talk to you and i want to talk to you about something he'll screw it up every time Mm -hmm. yeah so he goes the opposite direction does not want to talk to her um and that makes him super attractive to margot robbie because that's the rule (laughs) yeah and then margot robbie asks him to dinner and now i can finally do my thesis statement so this movie the key thing behind the relationship and the key thing behind most relationships if you ask me is that you communicate with your partner uh their relationship starts off with a conversation in the dark just they can't even see it's just talking It, it starts a second time based off a long conversation in a diner but with margot robbie he succeeds when he doesn't try with her and when he gives up, then she finally like acknowledges his presence, which she does after the uh, the theater production. He leaves, decides not to talk to her. A hilarious interaction with Rory later. Uh, she invites him to dinner and it cuts to them having dinner. And the highlight of that conversation is just a bunch of pan over shots of food and alcohol. And it snap. doesn't matter what they're saying. Yeah. But they're not really saying anything. Yeah. They're just kind of like, ha, 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 yeah. They're kind of mooning at each other. A yeah. Little bit. yeah. Yeah. And he's looking kind of awkward because he knows what he's doing. But she invites him back to the hotel where and, she's staying. And he gets all the way to the door. And then he turns around and runs away. And I was so happy when he did that the first time. <laughs> I was, oh, I was like, this is the first point where the movie could take a dark turn. Mm hmm. Because he could totally do whatever he wants. Yeah, right. He, he could just do it. it and then mm-hmm. erase it. And it never happened. That and way then he, he could the live with the guilt. Memory. Yeah, and yeah. it would be a completely different movie. But instead, he runs away. And that's the other interesting philosophical implication is, are you who you are because of what you do in the objective world? Or are you who you are in what you do for yourself? Because your actions affect other people. Like so much of this movie is how you interact with other people's worlds. Um, is that what makes you a good person? Or is it the actions that you keep for yourself? It's got to be both. Mm-hmm. Like, well, one kind of affects the other, um, especially in this movie. Because his dad says that for him, time travel has been all about books. And so he's using this ability to i mean i assume that what he means by that is he can like live a day just reading and he's experienced that book in his head and then he can go back in time and not read the book and pay bills and go to events and do whatever he needs to I do i figured he just but read the knowledge a book is still there per day and just like he got to he start he's up at eight asleep by midnight and then he's like, okay, I got to page 300 and then goes back the day. Oh, yeah. That's what, and and then, he used yeah. his time traveling powers to just read every book. Yeah, yeah. but yeah. he can. And then he'll do it the same day, but it's the about didn't. the time yeah. you have. What <laughs> yeah. do you do with it? Do so you... for him, yeah. the time that he is presumably erased from the official timeline matters to him and is part of how he has improved himself. But mm. for Tim, it's kind of the him declining to use that cheat code in life because he he be selfish he keeps the timeline with margot robbie having this you know platonic dinner with him he could have gone back and just 
ran away from her after the play. But that's like part of his timeline is having that dinner with her. Yeah, for a man who can delete all his mistakes, he sure does keep the big ones. He keeps some mistakes yeah. in there. Yeah, he keeps some in there. Like he'll take out the embarrassing sunscreen incident. But but, <laughs> but Mary's the kind of person who wouldn't be, I don't know, wouldn't be that upset if she knew the full story of what he was up to. Yeah, I mean, they seem to love each other enough to be a, like... Uh, maybe a little miffed, but understanding. And like Eugene said, this movie's all about communication. And I think this movie sets them up as like, look, they communicate about everything. They're good. Um, and that's not the conflict of, <laughs> it's not like a stupid misunderstanding gets in their way. They well, talk it out. But I, I think to kind of to Lauren's point is that when, when he makes and, and Eugene, like when he, when he makes these, these slight mistakes, he kind of lives with the most fun timeline because or the most interesting one, because when he proposes to her at first, he does it rather poorly mm-hmm. and just um, wakes her up quickly. He's and... like, hey, hey, I have to tell you something. And she's like, oh, this is right after the Margot Robbie. Yeah, incident. Right, right after. Yeah. And then he's like, ah, oh, that wasn't good enough. I'm going to do it better for her, not for him. Right. And so he does it for her. But then like there's this string quartet or the jazz quartet like out in the kitchen and instead of going away and redoing that timeline so that he could get rid of the jazz quartet that she doesn't want he walks over there and says you guys need to leave now <laughs> and it's it's so much better that way because he's he's kept this fun timeline where all these other people have that story yeah you well, know I, yeah i think he learned from his first interaction with mary that if he goes back and deletes a part of his life, he deletes the good and the bad. So like his second wow. proposal, while it may not have been perfect, it was wonderful until he realized having a jazz quartet in the kitchen might ruin the mood. So, <laughs> right. But it's, it, it would <laughs> but be he like, didn't go back and delete it. Yeah. He kept the good part. Cause it'd be like, out with the rest. Yeah. Cause it'd be like, liked that. Who would have oh, liked the kid? That jazz hilarious. Quartet? Okay. Nice. Yeah. But it would be like trying to recreate the, the dinner in the dark scene where <laughs> it's like, there's no way that he could get the good part back. He or it would have been different. It would have yeah. been different if he did it again. And it was really good the first time. So don't, or the second time, yeah. technically. So don't mess it up. And to that attitude, I think that really comes into play with their wedding. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yes. The wedding. The wedding it's, that it's a gets disaster. completely well, poured out. Well, a good I, disaster. I, I, yeah, a that, good I, disaster. that's the thing. A, a wedding is only a disaster if you don't enjoy it. Now, it was just the reception that went. Caddy Wampus. Oh, that's true. Uh, Caddy Wampus could have used the, the wedding itself. The, the ceremony was, nice. was beautiful. And she's uh, in a red dress. What's that all about? Uh, she's pregnant at the time. That's part of the thing. Is that a thing? I think so. Well, yeah. And actually, red and green used to be much more traditional back in the day. Uh, white wasn't really started until Victoria got married. It's also. Hmm? It's also Rachel McAdams. She wears whatever dress she wants. Yeah, she sure. does. She walked up to the costume department and was like, I'm, I'm wearing red, red in this scene. Richard <laughs> Curtis is like, very well. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, American. <laughs> this is why I cast you for spunk. <laughs> um, but what happens at the reception? As soon as they leave the church and start watching, w- walking towards the reception, it just, there's a downpour. <laughs> Everyone is soaked. The whole party. The tent splits and dumps water oh, on all of the pup- yeah. cupcakes. I was so happy when that happened. <laughs> yeah. And it's 
Yeah. The, so they end up crowding inside his childhood home. Yeah. Which is like the, the so home good. is so beautiful mm-hmm. and like yeah. having all of your friends there is so great. But he does change one thing about that. He day. changes the best man. The mm-hmm. best man. Many times. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And then the best man that he settles on changes his speech. Yeah. Which is his dad. So his dad is the best man. Let's play a little bit of that here. We're all quite similar in the end. We all get old and tell the same tales too many times. But try and marry someone kind. And this is a kind man with a good heart. I'm not particularly proud of many things in my life, but I am very proud to be the father of my son. So my question is, the dad does a do-over on his speech. Does Tim remember the different speeches? He does. I would say no. Oh, really? Because dad has, I think when one of them travels... Everybody else is that's true. Sort I sort of taken with them. I think uh, he, he just straight up told his son. I'm uh, went on the on the on the second attempt before or after Oscar, and he's like, "Well, he asked mm-hmm. how yeah. was that." And then I think Tim went, "Oh, you did it again, didn't you?" Well, uh-huh. no, because he no. says, "I didn't." I didn't, I didn't tell you I loved I, you. Yeah, yeah. No, that Tim was before was, the jump. Tim was there, an imposter. Tim, there was a different Tim in the room who doesn't. Isn't with us, but it's right? not the point. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's where if you think about it for a second, you're like, wait a second. And that's why I don't want to think about the time travel in this movie because it's not the point. The camera right. follows the- Tim throughout almost the entire movie. Follows his time jumps. I feel like the one time where we follow the dad's time jump is for the best man speech, and it I, goes back to Tim Vision. I, I love- understand it emotional. I know, I know, but they we haven't told the audience about it emotionally. <laughs> well, the first time he, it's a nice speech. And then the second time he think his dad thinks about it, it's like, no, I didn't say I love you. It could be better. And yeah. And I, I think Tim's like, uh, it's fine. I it's know you're good. You. It was good. And, and then he's like, no, it has to happen. And he's not only doing that for because he could tell Tim that he loves him, but he's doing that so that he can show Tim that he wants everybody else in the room to know that he loves him. Because his Tim's uncle later recalls how at the best man speech, he was. He said, your dad said he loved me that day. And so all the other characters were there for that moment, except for Tim, right? No. no. So Tim, no, wait, Tim wait. was there the second time as, mm-hmm. as he was the first time. Yeah. So Tim went with his dad in no, time? No, no, no. He doesn't remember the conversation they had about him saying, I need to tell you I love you. That Tim's- was overwritten? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. By his father going back. Tim's in dad did the rewind button and and overwrote it. Tim's own memory. Correct. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy. He's been doing that <laughs> his whole life. Yeah, Isn't that crazy? Yeah. It is, but in a way that made complete sense to me mm-hmm. in that moment. Yeah, it, it makes more sense. Like if it's just kind of running across your brain, but if you stop and think it think it through, that's when it gets hairy. And I think what what's that moment called? It's like uh, the icebox thing. It was the director for a horror movie that I can't think of. There's so many horror Uh, movies. I can't help you. Psycho. Hitchcock? Yeah, Hitchcock. Hitchcock. He called it like the icebox moment. Is is Eugene quoting Hitchcock to me? Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if it's entirely true because I got it from a YouTube video. What is this icebox? 
you don't think about the discrepancies till you're at home get pulling chicken out of the icebox is what the quote is. That does sound familiar. Yeah. Mm. You don't think about the the plot holes and the things until you get home and go, hey, wait a minute. That's interesting. That that does sound Hitchcock. Yeah. Okay, but so I will say yes. That best man speech from his father is definitely I don't know. That it's funny because like Kelly, you use the word saccharine and how saccharine movies that are too feel good just feel sort of cheap or they don't have the weight that they need. Mm-hmm. They're phony. And yeah, they're phony. That's a good word. Um, but that best man speech could have been one of those phony, like, oh, the movie is preaching to me now moments. But for me, it hasn't been. And no. his you advice have, you to. You have quoted that movie to me yeah. to show me how much you love me. Yes, because when he says, marry someone kind, and this is a kind man with a good heart, I'm like, "Eh, that's what I want out of my marriage, and that's what I have. I think that's what finally, like, got you over the the fence on me proposing. Like, (laughs) you're like, he's kind. Yes. I want that. You're His, complimenting yourself. I know. I'm so, <laughs> huh, I, I don't know. care if he talks about Mass Effect what all the time. He's <laughs> What is his oh, final boy. line? Isn't it like, I'm proud to be your father? Or he, what is it? It's something very, it it hit me emotionally. His it, his final line of that speech? Yeah, what does he say? Oh, gosh. It's something in the effect of, I'm so proud to be your dad. Or yeah. something mm-hmm. like oh, that. Oh, he, he's like, I only love, well, he says he only loves three men. Three men. Yeah. B.B. King. The Tim's uncle, his wife's brother, and Tim. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Uncle Desmond. Oh, oh, Uncle Desmond isn't related by blood. Yeah. Oh. Right. Yeah. So, that's that confused gotcha. me the first yeah, time. Yeah. Okay. I, I definitely. Thought I was that, th- I was trying to imagine Uncle Desmond's timelines. For, for, <laughs> yeah. For anybody who hasn't seen this movie, Uncle Desmond is kind of like a. He's just a. It's I a wouldn't call him. Tim. He's he's a little simple. Um. He he just isn't quite all in the present time. I mean, it, I interpreted it as he has the beginning of Alzheimer's. Yeah, yeah. it could, like early mm-hmm. onset, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the first time watching it, I but, thought he had gone through so many time loops, he scrambled his own brain. I mean, <laughs> I mean, here. I, but that's not the case. He's not a part of Tim's bloodline. The, no. The reason why I, th- I didn't think it was Alzheimer's is because Tim describes him as always having been that way. Mm. And so he would have been like pretty young when Tim was young, but who knows? Like I had to go and look up online whether he wasn't related right. afterwards because, and the internet didn't seem to know. Richard <laughs> Curtis didn't seem to tell us because he didn't give him a last name or even mention it. No, it's it's in the narration. I caught it the second time. Of oh, okay. My mom's brother, Uncle Desmond. Okay. Yeah, because like the whole time I, I did think maybe he scrambled his brain or yeah. something and was lost and he didn't know what time he was in. Yeah. And, and that would have been interesting too, but I'm glad that he was also just there because he's so... Such a good quaint character. and so, quaint. so lovable, huggable. Yeah. Uh, so let's get to the next steps. They have yeah, this the sister. They yeah. So they have this beautiful wedding, and that kind of segues into he Tim Tim and Mary have this life where they have kids, and, and things it's around are good this for them. time, the first time around, that your movie viewing brain goes, "What is happening?" There's more of this movie, and <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, you, the, you're like, wait, they had a kid, so that's the end of the movie. So the yeah, end, right? Yeah, yeah, the end. I mean, the end. The end. The end. <laughs> And I think the first time, I think I had a similar experience as you, Ryan, where the first time watching this movie, it I still got all of those feelings, but I didn't, I didn't respect it as much as a narrative structure because it just 
jars you for a minute. But the second time around, it's definitely a two-watched movie. The first time around, just to get the basic story and the second time around to appreciate it and yeah. to know what's coming and be yeah, excited it'll, for it. It'll throw you the first time. I, I mm-hmm. feel like I'm I'm a weird outlier here because like this movie is I've seen it once and it's already my favorite movie. And I have no <laughs> questions about Watch it. Watch it a second time. It'll well, be yeah, better. I know I want to now because I'm going to appreciate it even more. But did you bring much expectation to the film knowing that this was Richard Notting Hill Curtis? Uh, honestly, I went into it not remembering that. See, I think that's why you had. He went into it thinking, "Oh, this is Lauren and Eugene's favorite movie." (laughs) No, I I went into it being really jazzed to watch it because I have, I have, I wanted to watch it since it came out, and then there was a point in time where I was going to watch it with Robin, and I was like, "No, no, no!" Ryan and I are starting this podcast idea. I want to save it for the podcast. And lo and behold, we have, but this is like two years after we came up with that idea. And so I've wanted to watch it the whole time and it's been and building and building. <laughs> and now I got to watch it with my best friends and it's it's just great. And we got ah. to watch it in a movie theater. Yep. Yeah. Which Private rental. Wonderful idea. The VIP so glad experience. I had it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're not a whole bunch of Richies. Ryan works at the theater. <laughs> But hey, if you live in Portland, Oregon, living room theaters is available for private rental, everybody. <laughs> to the low, low price. Wait, can we break to commercial break. <laughs> for you to do that? <laughs> uh, you so, too could have a theater all to yourself. So let's talk about the sister. Yeah. Yes. Kit Kat. Kit Kat. Who's so, a fun character? Uh, she's described mm-hmm. in the beginning as a nature thing. She's <laughs> definitely the, the hippie flower child. Uh, manic pixie dream girl is that the correct term but no no well no, no i mean she is a manic pixie dream girl in the best manic possible pixie way. but in the best possible way not in the cliche way but yeah. she is just that character who's just off in her own world and she's sprightly and she's elfin and there's something yeah. fun and I, I'd, I'd say all of those her. things but i'd stay away from manic pixie anything because um, I know it's a pejorative now to well, use such well, a term. Well, no, well, but, and she doesn't have dream, that function. Yeah, that dream girl aspect isn't there for her, and she's also not the object of affection for. No, but that's any you don't have to have those qualities to have this quality. No, that's right because she is elfin and she is hippie and she is like um, really down to earth and crunchy in a dreamy kind of way. Yeah, that's yeah. I think you can nicely, in a good, positive, optimistic way, call her that. <laughs> and. Now, I haven't seen much Gilmore Girls, but I'm about to make a comparison. She is very much like Rory Gilmore in that. No, 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 she's not. No, well, no, in that, no, no, in that, her stop. taste in men has uh, given her a hard time. Oh, yes, because no, Jess no, sucks. we're not getting into this right now. <laughs> this started before the podcast. We're not doing it. I'm putting a kibosh. Okay, well, basically, right, the thing, I digress. The basic thing is <laughs> Eugene Kit Kat is his is Tim's little sister. She's she doesn't she she doesn't have the time travel f- functions because it's only the boys. No, but she's got a big heart. Yeah, and her problem is that she just life isn't going. It's just well, so I mean, it just, all starts off because she met the wrong guy for her, and I, she, like a lot of us, has stayed in a really bad relationship for too long. That's what I saw it as. I don't. I mean, I, that's true, but I think that's what Tim thinks. Yeah, and I think Kit Kat still might have just generally struggled in life, even if she didn't have a bad boyfriend for a long time, because it also feels like she didn't quite build the skills that she needed to, like, I mean, she's having employment issues and she's having housing issues, and it feels like she's just a little bit too flighty with or without the um, boyfriend. So 
where Tim comes in is uh, the, I will say the movie did make a point to have the bad boyfriend, the first relationship, the, we met at a new year's party and never stopped seeing each other. Yeah. He's bad for me, but I love him so much kind of relationship. It is kind of the cause of the problems because they fight and then she drinks to numb the pain of the fight and to let everything be okay. So she becomes a bit of an alcoholic. Mm. Right. But I think to Lauren's point, she is she, like Tim, actually was raised in a really idyllic environment Mm -hmm. where she's having tea on the beach every day in this perfect house with this perfect dad who is perfect for probably many reasons. Um, he cast Bill Nehe. Well, yeah, there's what you get. There's that, but there's also the time travel aspect. And so this character has kind of had a really great life. And when she goes into the city and struggles a little bit, she doesn't have this handicap of being able to time travel. I guess it's not a handicap. She doesn't. She, she doesn't, doesn't have, have the power. Yeah, of she time doesn't travel. have the the secret ingredient. And she doesn't she's have not, the control Z. And yeah. she doesn't have that sturdy quality that Mama Tim has. Yes, yeah, the solid last name. The Mary, because they have the yeah, same yeah. name. Tim's mother, Mary. But he, she's described as solid. In yeah, and yeah. she's very... Rectangular. Yeah, she will She takes every problem just head on, but Kit Kat is such a black sheep that she almost rebels against just the norms of society because, and mm-hmm. that's just who she is. And I think we all have people in our life who's like that. That's just kind of like, I don't really want to you know, fit into the, the cogs like that. Well, she has the, she has the drinking problem and the bad boyfriend and... Uh, it eventually comes to light. Uh, once again, a moment where it could have gone horrendously dark. It could have suddenly mm-hmm. turned into a, a a tragedy movie where they lost a sister. She did get in a drunk driving accident. It's probably the scariest the m- movie gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and here's where the time travel pinch gets really like, I feel like the movie creates an X at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So she gets into an accident and Tim realizes I can fix this with my time travel. So, Someone help me out. He so lay it all out of what his plan is. He decides to take. He he comes to the same conclusion as me uh, that it's the boyfriend's fault, and if she never meets the boy, she won't develop the alcoholism. She'll be able to hold on to a job. She'll be just fine. Which turns out to be true. Which does turn out to be true. He bends the rules a little bit and takes his sister back to the new year's party that we've been to twice before. We'll have to say that the car crash is, it's not lethal. It's just, she's very hurt because of it. And he wants, Tim wants to save her the pain. Yeah. He doesn't want her getting hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he brings her to the party, tells her, stay away from him. She kiboshes that. And so that's like, and this this new year's (laughs) party is, Pre Tim's 21st birthday. Mm-hmm. So this was at the very beginning of the movie, which uh-huh. is now years ago. Yeah. yeah. So they change that moment. They come back to the present moment and that will have shifted the timeline for everyone's experience. And so instead of dating the bad boy, she dates one of Tim's doofy friends who, yeah. who ends up being really good for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so things seem to be great until Tim comes home to find his child is no longer his daughter, but now he has a son. Yeah. And he is not bonded with that child. Yeah. Because of the timeline shifting for Tim just slightly. Everything else happens, but it just happens slightly different. So it's a different sperm. So it's a different child. And so essentially, if he wants to save Kit Kat from the car accident, from the bad boyfriend, he would have to basically put to rest the child that he had come up with. So he has to figure out a way to fix the problem 
but after his kid was born. He is lucky. Can yeah. I just say that he's lucky that that's the only thing that changed? Right. Mm-hmm. Because like, well, it's like the movie saying well, th- that's the yeah, biggest yeah. butterfly effect. Yeah. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. That is the one butterfly effect that sneaks by. Um, and so he makes the hard long term choice, yeah. it seems like. But so he, the first time I watched it, I was like, "Ooh, what's he going to do? Is he going to take the new kid or is he going to let his sister get in the accident and go with the kid he's had before? Now that I have an eight month old, I'm like, sorry, cat. Like it's a done deal. Like there's no, there's no thought. There's no, there's no millisecond of thinking. He can't possibly say goodbye to his kid. He kind of holds the new kid. Like he's like, like, what are you? (laughs) This two year old thing. What is this? But what's this one's got the jam hands. (laughs) The first time I watched it was like, Hmm, what a conundrum. The second time is like, that's, that sucks. But you have, there's only one way to go forward and you can't, Kit Kat has to go into the car accident. And it's another case of he could use his power. He could keep trying to bash his head into the wall of trying to save Kit Kat with his power. And I thought that's where it was going to go. And I thought well, that same with me the first time. But instead, he takes the lesson he learned at the beginning of some things you can't use this well, for. And, and, and he finds that out from his dad. Yeah. Right. Um, so he he and Mary sit at Kit Kat's bedside and slowly talk her into making the good decisions and committing to a better life and then taking care of her and dumping the bad boyfriend. And they spend and this time is why this is my favorite rom-com of all the rom-coms. Here's why this is the thesis that I've been thinking about. How many theses do you have? A lot. About this one? <laughs> you need um, one for every paragraph, right? Yes. I was thinking about this because I've been listening to probably say a lot of your podcast episodes mostly the ones that i've seen and i think this sequence with kit kat is kind of like the best way to describe what this movie does well because it's realistic enough that there are problems in the movie that hit home to us like these people aren't living in a bubble where all of their problems are super low stakes which is kind of what we get from movies like maid of honor (laughs) or even the good ones like while you were sleeping or my big fat greek wedding or 27 dresses which are the ones i've watched the most yeah big fat greek wedding is a little on the uh unrealistic side i'd say yeah and they they're insulated from any serious problems the movie just doesn't do that because it's more escapism and then there are movies like the big sick which spend most of their time on these really tough problems and they aren't really escapists. Like they're wonderful and they're, they are realistic and you can relate to them, but they're not necessarily. They're not light. Yeah. And I don't know if, I mean, I guess about time is light, but I feel like it strikes this perfect balance where you're not watching a movie to escape all of the problems in your life. And you're not watching a movie to live in a world where those problems don't exist but it deals with them in a very hopeful, positive way, and it doesn't spend time dwelling on them. It feels more like the type of balance of challenges and joys that you would want out of life. Mm-hmm. Right, because if we if we stayed with them trying to resurrect Kit Kat for too long, it would have been a movie about that. Yeah, and this is this movie is about time. <laughs> you guys, you guys heard that, right? You guys heard that. Um, and then after they deal with that, uh, it comes to maybe not the most. Well, I think oh. the, the, it, it, with your three things that happen, uh, statement you made earlier, 
Uh, the three thing, the three indicators that you are shifting to the next part of the movie is the birth of a child. Oh, I never thought about that. I like that. Yeah, and it and it's kind of uh, in the movie itself. Like every time he has a kid, he can't go back and change things before that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, after he gets married, they have a kid. Um, and so that kind of like seals yeah, it, that yeah, time. It locks it off. It, you I can't mean, it go doesn't. Back. Technically, he could go yeah, back for, and mess for, everything for up for somebody but, else, but for yeah, Tim, it locks. But for Tim, who actually loves and cares about people, yeah, uh, it's it's locked off. And so the Kit Kat thing happens, and then there's a scene where Mary and Tim talk about having another kid, and so they do. <laughs> I, I just thought, like, like Bill Bill Nehe, um does he did he have other kids before in did, life? I no, don't know no, his no. biography that well. Mm. Did he have other kids before um, Tim? Like they talk about this at one point in time. I think think he did the same thing Tim did because he does talk about it with him, Mm -hmm. uh, but then realized I have to go back and change it. (laughs) Yeah, right. Imagine, imagine having (laughs) you're my new one. (laughs) Yeah. Imagine having a a, a dad who like you get to the point where you're 21. He's like, by the way, you're 21. Also, you are my 21st version. (laughs) (laughs) I accidentally mixed you up a few times. Your hair color changed a lot. I thought it was natural. I would just... (laughs) I had to finish that Dickens. But it you was were so good. <laughs> so yeah, then then the the last act, which is a poignant act to end on, is him having to say goodbye to his dad, who is sick with cancer, mm-hmm. and he can't fix the cancer because it was because of his smoking, which he did before he had the kids. Yeah. So he can't he, go back and stop. He can't him. go back and save himself because he would lose his son. Mainly because he loves his son because so much. Because he loves yeah. his son so much. And I think that's confirmation that Tim is the original. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. To confirm, so. Bill Nehe, not monster. <laughs> In this one, I and watched Pokemon. <laughs> the movie is very thoughtful of like, okay, so how can Tim like get as much out of he can, out of this as he can? And he eventually does. His dad does pass away, and then there's a funeral, and there's a great scene where at the funeral, Tim can go back and talk to his dad, and it's just like. Man, if only life like this of all the mm. rewind buttons, these mm. are the rewind buttons that we want. Yeah. And he and there's also a, uh, another life lesson. If you're going to take a life lesson, take it from this movie uh, where he's taking his dad's advice. I think it's after he died, but before the end that I won't spoil quite yet, where he goes through the day just normally. Mm. And then he uses his power to go back to the beginning of that day and appreciate all the little things that happened during that day, which is, which is his father's great advice for him. That is the takeaway from the film is like, okay, none of us really have the power to go back in time, but we do have the power of perspective that Mm -hmm. we can understand that life goes on, life moves on. Don't get distracted. Enjoy everything about this life yeah, enjoy the enjoy the the interactions with your cashier mm-hmm. uh, enjoy the, and do that anyway they have a hard job yes but i felt Please like of all them. the moments in this movie this was the most kelly moment and i think this is a, a a life lesson that kelly would teach in one of his own films and it probably was a thing where you're like damn someone already took it oh oh i just realized what you said was a really big compliment to me <laughs> That might be the best thing that anybody's ever said about me. <laughs> but it was when you were watching it where you're like, right. No. Yes. yes. Yeah. Actually, there's. um. So I, I wrote a story 
that was worse than <laughs> this concept for a movie, but it was about somebody who went back and was given the opportunity to relive his life over and over again and all the different choices he would make, but he couldn't like go back in time in his life. He would just like restart and go over and over mm-hmm. again. It's kind and, of a uh, edge of tomorrow, but right. less blood. Right. <laughs> and that got me thinking like, what about this movie? I I love and has like, I came up with that story when I was like in ninth grade. So <laughs> of course it would be a bad one. Like as I was going through this movie, this movie like lives up to my philosophy. So so well and much better than I do partway through this movie. It's kind of the same way I felt about like when I watched, there's a couple movies that I've watched where I've just been like, you are doing exactly what I want to do. And it's both a tragedy and an inspiration that it's been done before I did it. I love movies where you're like, you're doing what I want to do, but there was no way I could ever do it like you. And I'm really okay with that. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes it takes a, a huge drop of ego to be like, yeah. well, of course I can't make this movie. I'm just going to have to make my own thing. But this was, I think, out of any movie, one that I wish I would have made and can let that go. But yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, because I was, I was watching yeah. it last night because my son was ruining the movie theater experience. So I had to start <laughs> over a different night. <laughs> he threw up on me a little bit in that movie. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. Um, but that moment I was like, this is Kelly's like, like every other Facebook post is about this of like, hey, guys, relax. Let's enjoy life. Let's <laughs> let's actually look around. It's also Ferris Bueller's mantra. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Right. Mm-hmm. But and- I feel like I feel like this movie took a risk, especially with the narration. Mm. Of having Tim just flat out basically say the movie's moral, but I and I feel like it's the gravity of the movie that earned that. Like I it agree. took a risk and it succeeded. Mm. And part of why it succeeded was because it was willing to break the rom com genre molds and to go places that some rom coms wouldn't. But it, it's still it's still showing us and not telling us. In yeah. spite of narration yeah. and in spite of these sequences that serve not really a narrative purpose other than just the theme. This is the only reason why this like secret his dad is giving him like this is the real key. That's the only reason why right. it's on screen. Because it he since it was framed as advice, it works. Mm-hmm. And and also I want to say since he's a he's not a god character obviously. He's he doesn't have like he has superhuman powers though. And that kind of like I I always appreciate a little bit of narration from those characters because they do have such a unique perspective and they're given such a unique perspective compared to us humans. And they're generally able to step outside of what it means to be human and just say, I see things just a little bit differently. And so narration never really grates when it's a character like that. So the, the end of the movie is him is, excuse me, Tim, not him. (laughs) Tim is Tim pretty much getting as many days in with his dad as he can before the, his third kid is born and yes. then sealing off yeah, the time with his dad. I think this is because Mary was very <laughs> interested in having a third child. <laughs> right. This conversation, <laughs> this conversation, was, that conversation was great, but Mary doesn't know that if they have another kid, Tim can't go see his father anymore because, and we haven't talked about this. She has no idea that he can time travel. Oh the yeah. Only, the only and one who knows is his sister. She Kit never Kat. finds out. Yep. No. 
And it's not a conflict or an obstacle in the movie. And I want an answer from each one of you, starting with Lauren. If you could, would you tell? Because Robin and I have this hmm. conversation. Well, my answer to that question is there's no way that I could keep it from him because he would know that I'm hiding something. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think keeping a we secret We could never would play poker. I just know all your tells yeah. way too much. <laughs> but also keeping a secret is stressful and mm-hmm. keeping one that big and like part of the reason I married him is because I want to be able to talk through the tough decisions and what's going on in my life and not being able to talk about that would suck. Okay. Okay. Eugene, mm-hmm. Eugene. Um this is a real <laughs> head to head right here. Yeah, I would not be able to keep a secret just because A, I'm bad at keeping secrets uh, about my own self. And uh, B, yeah, no, I couldn't hide it for my entire life and have that burden. And But the only thing that would stop me is just kind of wanting to keep the not saying you would ever do this, sweetheart, but like the, why didn't you go back and fix this? The why yeah. can we use yeah. this yeah. to fix this? Because that's giving somebody else a little bit of a burden. Yeah. Well, and it, yeah, there, that's an interesting. I wouldn't. Flip I wouldn't. Side of- I would. I if I did keep it to myself, it would be to carry the burden myself and not put it on her. Be like, okay, I don't want you to have to worry about me time jumping and and worry about decisions i will take care of the major issues and try to be discreet for me i think people on their strongest emotionally most well-girded days would not be able to handle the existential um tomfoolery of that ability because you'll always be doubting reality Mm. you'll always be like questioning have I had this conversation before? Right. And you're Mm -hmm. always going to be like second guessing your own reality. And I just think that would drive you insane. So, so you come on down on the side of no, I'm saying no. And it's not a matter of trust or anything like that. It's just a matter of this is how many times have we had this? (laughs) Yeah. Right. The burden is just, it's going to be existentially despairing for you. And Robin and I kind of, we immediately, when we got home, we asked each other, and we were both like, oh, sure. Yeah, we'll tell. And then we both kind of stopped and we brought up all of the things that you guys have brought up yeah. is, A, if I, if I was the one who couldn't time travel, I would definitely be wondering. And you'd have, mm-hmm. to, you'd have to have a really, really solid core trust of somebody. And that's not to say that none of us do, but it's such an extra natural thing to be like, okay, I don't really care if they have done this a million times because I trust them, which is a really optimistic, wonderful way to look at relationships. Not only do you have to trust them, you have to trust them extra. Yeah. yeah. But on top of that, rather than seeing it as a burden, like, because that thought is a burden, but rather than seeing the actual activity of time travel as a burden, I think if you look at it as in the way that both Bill Nehe and Tim, can't remember Bill Nehe's character, <laughs> and Tim do in this movie, they look at it as a gift, Right. Not only for themselves, but mainly for other people, especially Tim. So if it's you're taking on this ability to help others and you're sharing the knowledge of this ability with somebody, you're giving them less of a gift them knowing it rather than making their life as good as you can. And so I think it's at least it's a little more altruistic 
or at least <laughs> um, it, there is a potential for more help than hurt if you choose to keep it to yourself. But mm. that's that's just where I landed. And yeah. you could do whatever you want if you have these. It's maps. it's that's why this movie is so fun. There's, there's so many fascinating things to mm -hmm. think about. Mm -hmm. um, we are running out of time, so I just want to kind of sum up where the rest of this movie goes sure. is that basically Tim gets his last day with his dad and they, they cheat a little and they go back to one day back when Tim was a child and they relive a day on the beach. And for me, I'm just sitting there with tears in my eyes yeah. and I'm just like, <laughs> Cheap shot movie. <laughs> Cheap shot. How dare you make me feel. I know. Wait, did this movie make both of you cry? I cried. Oh, I cried. I have not cried. I think I cried the first time. Well, that's time. only because yeah. you're a robot, though. Well, but there aren't many she's movies not. that make me you're, cry. No, it's you're true. She has no emotion. <laughs> I'm at a very distinct existential moment that I have a son who's very young, and I'm now watching movies no longer thinking, I'm the son in this movie. Now I'm thinking... I'm the son and the dad too. And I'm experiencing all these emotions. <laughs> Ryan and I always have this conversation. I'm sure you've heard in this podcast uh, where like Ryan relates most to who he is currently. And I kind of relate sometimes more to the opposite character. Yeah. You relate to everybody. You get everyone. Well, I want You're so I, relatable I, I, Kelly. Oh my gosh. But what I want to do is go back and watch a goofy movie with you. Which is a very father-son film. Yeah, yeah. And when I was young, I really felt for Goofy. Have you two seen this movie? Mm -mm. Oh, it's, oh yeah. It's one of the best Disney animated films. Yeah. It's really good. Really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Powerline. Mm. Um, mm. Oh, don't get me started. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect guy. <laughs> <laughs> The cake. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and basically, um, this this character, this movie is a father son relationship story, and Goofy is having such a hard time relating. Oh, we're to going his son. into the Goofy movie. Trip well, now. I okay. mean, we've been we've been places. welcome to a gentleman's guide. To <laughs> we have Disney the time. <laughs> um, but I always related to the dad character because I was like, ah, oh, if I was Goofy, I would hate it if like Max was mean to me. And yeah, and, I I understand. I definitely understood Goofy's emotions. Okay, in that I, I, I definitely. I, I feel that one transcends. In I, a weird yeah, way. I definitely tracked with Goofy in that because the movie does such a good job of making Goofy so sad. <laughs> but it's in, so sad in this movie, Tim is a young dad, and like him in the hospital, like the one scene that I did get to watch in the movie theaters, Tim with the newborn, which a lot of I'm starting to notice this is that a lot of newborn babies in movies are like three month old like they're ginormous like these are not newborn mm -hmm. babies on screen but in this movie i don't know how they did it it is a newborn on screen he's got this cone head he's well i guess mm. it's a pink girl. wrinkly thing yeah but very <laughs> tiny they're just so delicate and it just transported me back eight months ago in the hospital becoming a dad and it's just so existentially rocks you and so i was bonded to tim more than most of the characters by far wow. like i was really united in what he was going through in that respect then i i think we we all can say that we appreciate not only dads but also sons in this yeah film. definitely um can we all say i love you dad i love you dad i love, I love you dad. dad and i love you theo like <laughs> and like that was the cool thing is like the first time i watched this none of that stuff hit me 
like the first time with them on the beach and it's the end of the movie i'm like that's nice but the second time i was like (laughs) stupid (laughs) (laughs) Um, and the end of the movie is tim doesn't really use his powers because he doesn't need it anymore uh we're running out of time i just wanted to run through a few things that i had issue with in this movie because i Mm. feel like we've been really lionizing the film and i do want to bring up some quibbles welcome to ryan's quibbles I did not enjoy the movie's Mm. film style. Hmm. You mean it's cinematography? Yeah. There's a definitive like handheld look to this movie and everything looks good. The production design is good. The sets are beautiful and like the house is beautiful. Everything looks great. Everyone looks great. But the camera work is intentionally like almost documentarian that Uh, everything's There's oh, so there's many moments. handheld shots. There's, there's moments. moments, but it, it definitely... A lot of the movies in handheld. It felt like it was in... Um, like that there was still a gyro going on. Like it felt like there was some steady cam yeah. and, and they were just moving the camera around but for effect. I was missing the glossiness of Love Actually. I felt mm. like Love Actually had a like very smooth, pirouettic kind of look. Oh. And this is a lot more janky and janky is an unfair word put your hands down everyone put your hands down go ahead though no no wait wait let me just finish my thought we know your no no let me just finish janky is an unfair (laughs) word but it was a little rough around the edges which i don't think it's an ugly looking film i just wish it had more of a polished look i disagree completely okay why does it work for you this is a family movie and once again i think that's what makes it very relatable and i felt like the the rough around the edges feeling was a little bit is evocative the right word it was evocative of it felt like a a family home video yes yeah yes a family home video Hmm. and i think if it was glossy and shiny it wouldn't match the fact that the movie's structure like narrative structure feels a little bit off because it's imitating life more and less of a perfect hollywood arc and that the the issues that they're dealing with aren't as like Notting Hill or my big fat Greek wedding glossy and larger than life and escapist. And so a movie that doesn't feel glossy and that is breaking some of the mold in order to look more like real life, the cinematography should match. I, I, I love that you point out that the cinematography matches the themes. Cause that's, I agree with that. And it's also something that I just, if, if a movie can do that, if they can match their story and theme and cinematography at the same time. It's why I love the first Hunger Games movie so much. Just uh, b- before it was cool. Um, it, I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry. But <laughs> there this, was a time before the Hunger Games movies were cool. Yeah. I mean, no. no, no. Everybody had read the books. Anyway, but sorry. Continue anyway, with your can, point. He grew up anyway, in the middle of nowhere. I grew up so. in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> okay. We only got the big movies, but the cinematography in the first movie, it feels like you're watching the story through the lenses of like secret cameras and like just it looks like you're watching the movie through the lenses that would be in your surroundings like rebuttal anyway no i I haven't been able to talk about mine yet you've got your opinion you've got your opinion okay go mr nehe thank you i think that i disagree with both of you oh (gasps) because i do agree that the handheld and and it really wasn't that handheld it was just a little bit more than usual. I mean, if there was a vlog, if I could show the viewers what's going on, Any, unfortunately, okay. I can only hear the listeners. Yeah, so you're going to have to listen. 
the the thing is this handheldness, this lack of polish, I think balances out the escapism of this film because you said this movie is real and it's you know dealing with real life which it is but there is a huge amount of that that is rooted in the escapism of traveling through time and i think the lack of polish brings us to a nice middle ground where we can kind of enjoy the minutiae of this like basic love story that he's bringing into a realm of fantasy i like that i this is why it's just a quibble like, I still like <laughs> the style of the movie. I just think this movie should displace It's a Wonderful Life as the movie that we watch on a yearly basis. I think if it had a more polished style would be more in the mainstream. It felt like they had the, the time to shoot a 90 minute movie, but they were trying to make a two hour movie. And so all they could do was just be on sticks the whole time and not like actually do it in a the more eloquent way, but they're like, we got to go. We got to go. And so uh, I'm okay with it. Okay, it's let's, just a let's quibble. Move on, it's though. just a quibble. That's actually, like, that's my only quibble. Oh, that's your well, only quibble. That means that you probably been. have an award to give it. What is your rom-com Oscar? Yeah. Woo. Welcome to this special episode of rom-com Oscars, where we're going to give this movie more Oscars than any movie ever before. Cause there's well, more of except us. Except for that one with our wives yeah. where we had four of us. Oh, right. <laughs> Lauren, what Oscar would you give this movie? Oh, no. You can think because Best we... oh. rom-com. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, get off the stage. Because, because it is my favorite. Um, no, you can say it's the best rom-com, but you have to say this is legitimately, out of all the rom-coms that you've seen about time, you think is objectively the best one. Yes. Okay. Actually, that's a... That's a... I, I'm not going to argue with you about that. I, I'm i not giving it that because you've already given it that, but I may have. Well, now I kind of just want to give it... Although uh, Harry Sally is more seminal. Now I just want to give it a cinematography Oscar just to spite Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Give it the cinematography um, award. No, no, no gonna, you made your... No, bed. no, no, no. Uh, well, uh, I'm surprised Lauren didn't take this. Uh, ooh, but... Hmm. <sighs> I'd almost want to go with score... Just because it's so mm-hmm. sentimental to Lauren and I, yeah, and it, it, it good I think I will. I think I'll go with uh, Oscar for score. And that music has dug itself into my brain. Yeah, oh, me yeah. too. It's it's now in my writing playlist. It's simple. It's not intrusive. Oh yeah, and it almost like dances across your brain. Right there when he's standing outside the restaurant after the blind date that. The way that comes in and how gentle it is and like going back and listening to that whole song, I just feel like that was the best song and scene pairing that I can think of. Yeah. I want to live forever and watch you dancing in the air. There's that troubadour music in the subway station. That, that song, scene. That song was such a thing that I was like, has Kelly made me listen to the soundtrack even though he's never seen the movie? Like, it sounded like a song that Kelly would be really into because it's got this Irish jig to it. Right. And, and it's one of those songs where, like, if you put a different song in that moment, it could ruin that moment. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. that moment is all about the music. Mm-hmm. Longer if I can. 
And just for the, those at home, this it's the moment where they're in the subway and they're kind of going about their first like couple. It's either their dating or the it's first their year dating year. years. Yeah. It's their dating yeah. years. And so you just see them in like different outfits, saying goodbye or saying hello to each other while this one band plays, and it just stays in place while all of them move. Yeah. Like all the people it's a move it's around. a time lapse montage yeah. of their first. It's about yeah. time lapse. Oh god! But the, <laughs> but the song, the song is romantic. Mm. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. it's it's romantic and not cloying and yeah, just, it, it, it's a good right here romantic yeah right. mm. uh, what about you buddy <laughs> best picture whoa you're wait no that's <laughs> just what she said though. nope she said it's the best rom-com I'm saying it's the best picture so you think even with its cinematography being something you didn't like, you think this is best picture? Yeah, because I'm thinking I'm taking all the rom-coms we have watched so far mm-hmm. and they're all competing with each other. And I'm the Academy Awards because this is what it is. Mm. And they're all in contention. They're all in equal contention with each other. Okay. And it's time to award one of them best picture. I feel and I'm saying it's about award time. I feel like I'm a part of history right now. <laughs> but there's seminal films when Harry met Sally. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's other more auteur driven works like Before Sunrise. But I think, like I said, this movie should displace It's a Wonderful Life. And your best picture winners are those films that are special. Mm-hmm. And this one is. I'm, I'm going to say it's a weird adjective to just give a movie, but it is special. It's a special film, and we have to recognize the specialness, and therefore I give it best picture. I mean, you could give, you guys have all given very good Oscars, um, and I want to just give, as I always do, a special shout out to the costumes department. Uh, we haven't even talked about. Uh, you the mean mom. Rachel McAdams? Yeah, she, yeah. she's like, <laughs> yeah, right. The red I want dress. Her entire wardrobe. Yeah. Can I just put it in my wardrobe? No, by all means. It makes Christmas shopping for me like in the future so much easier. I liked not only her dresses, which were fun, but um, just I I want to wear Tim's outfits. That's if I could have a wardrobe Kelly? purchasing. You do. <laughs> well, you, I do every do, once. Kelly. I do every once in a while, but I don't have enough money to like craft that. A lot of my clothes are from ten years ago. I need right. more cardigans. But more you, cardigans. You definitely. <laughs> well, more sweaters that collars come out. You're very mm. Tim already. You're ninety percent there. Thank you. You just don't have the quantity. You definitely That's, have the quality. Um, but like, oh, that all that wool. Mm. Yeah. Um, but he, like Bill Nehe dresses kind of like him, but he's got his own style. And the the mom, we haven't talked about her very much, but she like has very plain colors, generally speaking, because she is so kind of just solid. Well, her fashion icon is the queen. Yeah. And, ah. and like they talk about that in the movie That's and they perfect. really live up to it. It's perfect. Um, and I want to call out this one line that the mom gives when she, she's asked by Rachel McAdams after they get there, when they find out that Bill Nighy has cancer, she's like, how are you doing? And she's like, basically like, uh, I'm fucking terrible. Like I, I don't see the point in living when he's gone. And it's just so brutally honest, but in a refreshing way. Yeah. I just wanted to call that out. But anyway, so loved the costumes, loved the movie. I this is a really odd award, but I want to give this, and it kind of coincides with like best picture and best rom com. 
but I want to give it the most magical award. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because like there's, it's not like there's a big like magic, um, archive of like things that they're teaching us about like the magic of this world because it, it really just goes it goes over our head and through our head and without saying that the magic kind of works in this film but in and of it's that it has like this fantasy magic time travel it's also just the most magical in that wonderful sense where it's just a special film and I did not know I would feel this way about this movie, but it is the most magical movie I have seen in a very long time. And I'm not going to say ever because I've seen a lot of movies, but it is the most magical. And I think it'll be the most magical that we watch for this podcast. So mm -hmm. most magical. Best now, magical. I'm no expert on the Oscars, but I'm pretty sure that's not a category. Kelly. We make up our own. Oh, oh, okay. I think sure, Ryan has sure, given sure. a best sure. sex scene before, and I do not think that is part of the Oscars. Yeah. Uh, okay. So <laughs> we have one last question. Yeah. And it's... Do you, want, do you want to start with me and go the other way around? Yeah. Kelly, who would you love? Who would I, who would I fall in love with? Yeah. Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Who do you love? Okay. So Rachel McAdams has a very special place in my heart. Um, I think she is wonderful, not only as an actress, but I think she's extremely beautiful. Um, Bill Nehe, same. Less on the beauty point, but he he knows where he's beautiful. You're talking yeah. about that man's gorgeous. Yeah. See? Um, but for me, I'm going to go with Tim. Tim is... He has this power and he has the potential to use it for bad, but he really is one of the most kind, selfless individuals. Like we don't see him saving the world necessarily. He's just trying to live a good life. He's kind. I, and I don't even know what kind of lawyer he is. He's, he's a defendant of some kind or yeah, a, he's a, a defense, defense attorney. Yeah. And he might be helping people that like <laughs> are up for fraud and maybe are. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know if necessarily he's the greatest human being that's ever lived, but he just seems to be someone that's wonderful to be in a relationship with. And same, same with Rachel McAdams, but I, I'm just going to give my love to Tim because we're with him this whole time. He seems like selfless, good for his family and kind. Okay. I like that. Who would you love? A sucker for a redhead. Who of all the characters would you fall in love See, with? This was the question I knew was coming and that I actually thought about. Um, I mean, given you what we've studied for this test, what the heck? Given <laughs> what we've talked about, I think it's an easy setup. Actually, I think I'm going to go with Bill Nee. Oh, because like Tim is great, but I feel like you're great. But no, 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 no. no this this oh, is the books. I forgot about the books. Yeah, this yeah. is this is good Dang for me. It. I'm a sarcastic yeah. nerd. You need to yeah. pursue more Bill Neehiness in your life. It's it's the books, and I mean, I feel like Tim is going to grow into his dad very yeah. much. I feel like that's who he's going to become. But the the wisdom and the gentleness and the intellect and the like kind of sly humor. Mm -hmm. Tim's not bald enough. Yeah. <laughs> you know what we never got to see? We never got to see Mary talk to Bill Nehe about books because she's mm. a reader. Yeah. And that's all he does. That wasn't mm. good. But I feel like the movie does a good enough job where it's like, look, we're, we don't have time for that scene, but you can imagine. So, right? so hold on. We have, we have Tim falling in love with somebody with his mom's name, with his dad's basic, like, a, akin job. 
he sounds, 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 yeah. some conversations to be had here. Yeah. Uh, what about you, Eugene? <laughs> I think I might just, I mean, other than Rory, I mean, Dreamboat, <laughs> yeah, am I right? He is something else. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to just go with the easy answer, Mary, because honestly, uh, nothing, uh, no no other character on television do I know is as close to my wife. So mm-hmm. that's, that's yeah. what, Eugene, that's what I usually have end up going with much mm, to yeah. Kelly's annoyance. <laughs> what can I say? I have a type and it happens to be yeah, the one okay. I married. Yeah. So. Eugene gets an s- extra special pass today because he's the first time on our podcast. Yeah. And and it's the wedding anniversary movie. Yeah, it's that too. That too. too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, uh, but yeah, fun answers, Rory. <laughs> <laughs> I, Ryan, I know yours. Oh, do you? Oh, yeah. Lay it on me. Margot Robbie. Oh. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> ah, so much substance. Margot Robbie. I definitely would have been Tim around Margot Robbie. Yeah. yeah <laughs> Sunscreen and all. Yeah. So when you were 21, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Luckily, I'm not. I'm going with Kit Kat. Yeah. <laughs> Lay it on us. I think Kit Kat is more special and unique than uh, Mary. And I think she has a more floral outlook on life mm. which is very refreshing yeah and you know rachel mcadams is is nice but i think kit kat's got more of a spunkiness to your point you too my would love kit kat <laughs> my controversial quibble with this movie is that mary is the weakest character because she's kind of perfect yeah i mean yeah. we do we do see a conflict between Tim and Mary, but she doesn't have the same quirkiness that all of the other characters do. And that's usually kind of a flaw of romantic leads in general, but I feel like they successfully gave Tim a really strong personality and in a movie where the protagonist has a strong personality and all of the supporting characters have one too, I wanted a little bit more from Mary. We start getting that at one point in time when they start arguing over the Ian McEwen book that she's reading <laughs> that gets thrashed by her kids. Yeah. Good fight. Yeah, good, good fight. fight. Good fight. Like, mm-hmm. we really started getting a little bit of her, like, she's kind of a, she's kind of a lazy bum sometimes. Mm-hmm. Oh, and yeah. I liked that about her where she's like, no, I'm going to sleep for like all day. And that's what I get to do because my parents came in town. But you how, do you, Rachel McAdams. But How can presumably an English major editor lover of the arts dislike theater yeah that one doesn't work for me yeah mm-hmm. i well <sighs> maybe, no. maybe there's <laughs> a thing was... no i knew way too many well okay i knew way too many english majors in school who hated being in theater yeah we won't but we're not gonna act we're gonna ending? read no i mean you're right i don't know get to do get to know enough insufferable theater kids and maybe you too <laughs> maybe maybe they were doing like something esoteric like august strindberg and she's like that's not a part of my style but she doesn't even know he just says i have two tickets to what national theater it's yeah the and national like, theater no it's helen mirren uh yeah i i want to make um we can all go around and say one final thought before we say goodbye. Uh, I do want to say my Richard Curtis piece that I think this is a great another the things that are going on. He's being very consistent that, again, we have a good ensemble cast with characters that have interior lives, much like what we saw in Notting Hill, mm-hmm. much like what we see in Four Weddings and Funeral, Love Actually. These other characters 
may not have as much screen time, but they are just as interesting and just as endearing, like Rory and um, the playwright and Tom, Tom, Tim Hollander, Tom uh, Hollander, Tom Hollander, yeah. uh, Uncle Desmond, mm-hmm. uh, Kit Kat, all the and Bill Nighy, like yeah. all these characters are just so special. And he just gets that. I right. didn't I didn't get to say this earlier, but I meant to rebuttal here. Uh, th- total thrashing of Mary. Um, <laughs> I feel like this movie uh, that because it is split into three parts of girlfriend, wife, sister, dad. Uh, unfortunately, the majority of her character development is in the beginning. And so we don't get as much because Tim is the ma- same all the way through. But his his subplots are split. Yeah. So unfortunately, I feel like the structure of the movie is what took away her character. But she for is- the amount that she had as the spotlight and for her roles in the following ones, I feel like it was a strong enough character for me. I think she is more admirable as a romantic lead than Julia Roberts is in Notting Hill. Yeah. I mean, she's not, (laughs) I mean, admirable as in, I want to hang out with her maybe, but I feel like Julia Roberts has more character. I'm rooting for Tim and Mary. That's fine. I'm not really rooting for Hugh Grant and Julia, but that's, but that's fine. But you can admit that there is more struggle. There is more character depth to Julia Roberts character than, there is for, yeah, it, it's for a Mary. Tricky, it's a and that doesn't thing. mean yeah. that she's like, you know, it's a better movie because of it or anything. Yeah, it's, it's tricky that one, there's more character, the other, there's more romance. And yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Or like, I would look at, um, I think her name is Emily in The Big Stick. Yeah. yeah. She mm-hmm. just... She's not really in the movie. Yeah, but yeah. the parts but that we ha- see, she she has a little bit more spark. Yeah. And I'm not saying that Mary's a bad character. I think she's great, but... And Rachel McAdams is a good job playing her. Yeah, but I... Because all of these other characters just pop off the screen, even when they're only there for a few scenes, I wanted something like that from Mary. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, final word on this movie. Oh gosh, that's there's so much pressure. <laughs> it doesn't have to I be the it, final word. It could just be a final word. Um, I think in some ways it's kind of the movie that lays out the roadmap that I want my marriage to follow. And that's why it's so meaningful to me. Mm. Wow. Best final word wow. I've ever heard. <laughs> Eugene, don't even try. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I was just going to encourage uh, listeners to watch it if you haven't. And Yeah, what uh, are you doing listening if you haven't watched it? What are you doing? <laughs> I mean, watch it again. Uh, yeah, really. Uh, it, it's, it's one of those... It's like a good book. Like, you can read it multiple times in your life and it'll have a different meaning every time. So... Mm. Go ahead and watch this one again. Yeah, because what she said. Um, <laughs> That's what she said. I'm going to steal from another Richard Curtis film. And to this movie, I'm going to say, to me, you are perfect. Uh, I didn't have quibbles. Good. Well, this has and been the quibbles, barrister but... outfits. Come on. That's great. Bing. Hey, guys, this is Ryan from the future. Uh, we didn't get a chance to pick our film for next week, so we did it off microphone and the selection this week or this coming week is going to be to all the boys I loved before part two. So that is what we'll be covering next week. Netflix's original sequel. Uh, It's going to be a special one just like this one. So check it out for next week. All right. See ya. Bing. Okay. Well on that, I want to say to everyone in this room, I love all of you. Oh, thanks Ryan. Oh, I love you. Uh, uh, Hold on. Let me go back in time. I love you too.
We love you, Ryan. And I love you. <clears throat> and this is where we will say a goodbye. Ryan and Kelly must bid you adieu. Thank you for listening to our review. Rate and subscribe, we'll even take a bribe. So see you next week on A Gentleman's Guide. To rom-coms. <laughs>